0: you in Colossians chapter 2 verses 8 through 10 we read beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men after the rudiments of the world and not after Christ for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Well, when we look into this particular chapter of Colossians and we have warnings against human philosophy, philosophy apart from Christ, and we have warnings against angel worship in this chapter, and uh, we have warnings against the particular legalism, the touch-not, taste-not, handle-not legalism of what is called asceticism we uh, we'll find that it's necessary that we learn something about this as we look into this chapter if we're going to understand the particular warnings that are given to us in colossians there was a false spiritualism that was endeavoring to be imposed upon the colossian believers There's one thing in this chapter that should become absolutely very clear to us. The remedy. The remedy for these and all other things which the devil, your very real adversary, attempts to use to gain control of your mind. If he can, He will gain control of your mind. He will endeavor to put things into it to subvert your understanding of the gospel and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's a very serious study, of course, in which we engage. The approach taken then as we consider these particular verses 8 through 10 with application that is relevant to us will be the battle for the mind. A very real battle in this world. What we think, what you think, what you think upon, what you think you know reveals what you are. So important that we have the maximum, in Scripture, the maxim of, as a man thinketh, so is he. What we think upon governs our life. And so it becomes incredibly important when we consider the battle for the mind. This battle didn't begin in the day of the Apostle Paul. This battle that rages in this day didn't begin in this day. This battle for the mind began when man fell into sin and plunged the whole human race into sin as all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. This battle comes in a multitude of forms. When that old serpent, the devil, and Satan effectively attempted and tempted our first parents to turn from the word of God and to depend upon their own reason apart from God. When they were commanded not to take of the tree that God commanded them not to eat of, when they bought the lie, part of that lie was it is a tree to make you wise. You're going to be as gods. You're going to have your own knowledge independent from him. You can depend upon your human reason. You can look at this tree and see that it's good for food to be desired. There's nothing wrong with it. The only thing wrong was God commanded it not to be eaten of. That began the substitute of human reason for divine revelation. The human race putting the human mind above the truth of God, has since been governed by empty, vain, deceitful thoughts ever since. This, of course, characterized the heathen world of old. When Paul gives the history of the world, as it were, in Romans, in Romans chapter 1, he says, When they knew God, they glorified him not as God, Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish heart was darkened. They began making gods they could control. They began making gods out of human figures and out of animal figures and even degraded further. Man came to worship sticks and stones. They were darkened the heart, the thoughts, the understanding, darkened. This, of course, characterizes the modern world as well. And even we who confess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have to be careful not to look to the strength of ourselves. We have to be careful not to trust our faith. Or even trust our repentance. Or trust our own knowledge. We're brought to trust only in our Lord. To depend only upon Him. And so, it becomes a very important thing to understand how subtle the mind with the wrong information can trip us up your enemy, your adversary. He wants your mind. He wants your thoughts. He wants what you watch. He wants what you read. He wants what you think upon to affect you. Paul knew the absolute necessity of being established, strengthened in Christ. That's why he wrote in verses 6 and 7, As you have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk you in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving, to be established more and more in the truth as revealed in the gospel, called in the New Testament, the faith. And you have to understand that in the New Testament, when the definite article is used with faith, the faith, most often it's speaking of the body of truth, the truth that's made known in the gospel, the truth that we're called upon to believe. And so that can be turned from. The faith can be turned from. And, of course, that's why we have a passage like First Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 1, in the latter times some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies in hypocrisy. That's not particularly a prophecy of what happens at the end of time. That's speaking of one who has come to adopt intellectually the information that's in the gospel termed the faith and then later turns from it, not turning from an actual regenerate heart that comes to possess what is called the faith of the Son of God and that's his faith placed into us in regeneration and so you must be established strengthened firm if you're to withstand the deceitful subtleties of this fallen world there are unseen demonic powers in this world there are unseen demonic powers, and these powers aren't simply behind the secular world. Oh, they are. And the political world, yes, they are. But even more especially, they're in religion. And these powers, through false teaching and worldly means, will do all they can to lead you from the truth of God, to pervert your thinking and mind. And be sure, if your enemy does not succeed to attempt and subvert and overthrow your faith by false teaching, he'll try other means. He doesn't sleep. He'll bring up your past sins against you. He'll endeavor to make you think you're so wretched and sinful that you could never have been forgiven to begin with. Your warfare against sin, he will use against you. He'll bring the difficult things that God in his providence brings for your good to subvert your mind, to try and turn you from the living God. He'll use whatever means he can to entice you if he can't use those means by the charms of this world, by the things in this world that will attempt to seduce you to its ways and cause you to be charmed by the things that are in it. And never rule out that he can use one of the most subtle ways to gain control over your mind. When the devil tempted our first parents in the garden. The temptation was very subtle. It's a tree to make you wise. You're going to be like God, knowing good and evil, if you eat of this tree. God is withholding something from you that's good. Pride of intellect. Even the pride of thinking we know something. The adversary can use against you no wonder the apostle paul says we know nothing yet as we ought to know we're dependent upon god to make known to us and to teach us any truth that is abiding and real and it comes from him when we receive it neither you or i are immune from satanic assaults of the mind but again There's something we learn in this passage, so essential. The remedy remains the same. The remedy, the armor, if you please, against these subtle attacks remains the same. Become ever increasingly established in the knowledge of God in Christ. Know, accept and trust the only way of His salvation By a wondrous sovereign grace, through faith in Christ alone, who died for sinners, who rose from the dead, and who knowing if you have come to know Him in truth will never ever separate you from that love. The battle for your mind, the battle for your mind is very real. We need to understand something of what the Colossians were facing. They were facing this empty, fruitless, dangerous philosophy. Philosophy means love of wisdom. But philosophy in the worldly sense is very dangerous. And philosophy in the religious sense is even more dangerous. And this was obviously being pressed upon them. As the apostle writes in verse 8, Beware, lest any man spoil you, lead you away to himself as a spoil, through philosophy and vain deceit, after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. In those days, Philosophy was any elaborate system of thought. And that system of thought had to do with theories about God, about the world, and about human life. And that was called philosophy. But pagan philosophy didn't simply arise among the Greeks and the Romans it didn't stay there the Jews when they were among the Gentiles they had schools among them and these philosophies would infiltrate into their schools so it would affect them seems the adversary always has his hands on schools he knows how to attempt to educate into his ways exactly what's happening today in our own world. And the children must be fortified firmly if they're to overcome the very subtle things that are taught. But this Greek philosophy would infiltrate into those Jewish schools. This could possibly explain why there seems to be a mixture here even in the second chapter of Colossians, of Judaism and heathen mysticism involved in the error that was being pressed upon the Colossians. For instance, in this chapter, in verses 16 through 18, the apostle writes, Let no man therefore judge you in meat or in drink or in respect of an holy day or of the new moon or of the Sabbath. Days there in italicized, is not in the Greek. So that we're looking at something that appears to us distinctly Jewish. Which are a shadow of things to come. But the body, the substance is of Christ. Then he says, let no man beguile you of your reward. And a voluntary humility and worshiping of angels intruding into those things which he hath not seen, vainly puffed up by a fleshly mind. Now, that's obviously appearing to mix in what was called Greek dualism. Now, you're going to need to understand what that means. The error that that the Apostle Paul was combating, the error would not only stem from the teaching. That law keeping was necessary to be added to just, to faith in Christ for justification, as was the case at Galatia, uh, Galatia rather. But from Greek mysticism, Greek mysticism taught that the material world, matter, material, is good, and spirit, or, or, or is evil rather, and spirit is good. Matter is bad. Spirit, what you can't see is good. So that we're intruding into those things which they could not see, if you remember, here. To adopt this vain deceit would be very serious. Very serious because it would turn from and subvert the truth of the gospel itself. It would be to take one captive, like a spoil, in battle. Brought into bondage those they desired to subvert. And it would take away their freedom in Christ. Let no man do that, Paul says. Beware lest any man spoil you through philosophy and vain deceit after the tradition of men, after the rudiments of the world, and not after Christ. You see, if material itself is evil, and God is pure spirit and good, then he could not have directly created the world. There arose the teaching that God did not directly create the world. But he did it through intermediaries between him and the world of humanity. Are you following? And if material is evil, if material is evil, which includes the flesh of man, if material is evil, the divine Christ could not have actually become incarnate In human flesh. Pretty serious. This demonically inspired teaching could not be but drawn from human tradition apart from what God himself has made known in his word. Revealed, given in the word of God. Its rudiments, elements, then would have its source only from the world apart from Christ. The world, apart from Christ, has a little, a God with a little g, and that's Satan. It is worldly wisdom opposed to the true divine wisdom, which is completely in Christ. You see, the Apostle Paul has emphasized this to us, as in verse 3, in whom, in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge you see he's bringing us always to Christ the adversary though using or though not using the same systems of elaborately devised error as in the first century yet has many weapons in his arsenal to war against the gospel and to take captive the unwary and the unstable. We're charged to be vigilant. We're charged in the Scripture to have on the whole armor of God. We're taught that we can only stand in the power of His might, not ours. And those apart from Christ are unstable. And the remedy always remains the same. No matter the avenue which demonic influence endeavors to gain in order to subvert the mind. I'm glad to read in Scripture and understand that those who are in Christ, those who are established in Christ, that no weapon can finally destroy them, that the adversary cannot finally destroy them. Those who are firmly rooted in Christ, built up in Him, as Paul was exhorting in verses 6 and 7, they alone have Him for their only foundation. They grow more and more in the knowledge of Him and His grace, trusting Him alone to keep and guide they alone have the defense the enemy cannot penetrate. In another context, in another area of error coming against the saints, the believers, the people who are in Christ, Peter the apostle gives the remedy against them in 2 Peter chapter 3 in verses 16 and 17. When he says, You therefore, beloved, seeing you know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. What's the remedy? But grow. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. You're not going to grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ if your mind is always in a computer, on a television, playing a game. You're not going to grow in the knowledge of Christ if you take the philosophies and the things of this world and they come into your mind constantly. You're going to grow in Christ if you feed upon His Word, if you're consistent under the ministry and truth of His Holy Truth, His Word. You're going to grow in Christ when you learn to trust Him in the battles and the heartaches and the trials that come in this world. You're going to grow in Christ when you desire to walk with Him, to commune with Him. To walk with Him in prayer, in obedience, against the oppositions that will come against that in this world. And you grow in the grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, you have the effective way of not being carried away with the error of the wicked. There's a promise. When you truly understand that the battle is not yours, it's the Lord's. When you understand the battle is in His sovereign hands. And you come to comprehend and believe that. You come to rely only upon Him to keep you, to sustain you. He must be your shield. As the psalmist in Psalm 119, 114, Thou art my hiding place and my shield. I hope in thy word. As in Ephesians 6, we're to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might, as in Second um, Timothy chapter 2. Thou therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. It must be his strength, not ours, in which we live. It must be his grace that sustains us in the midst of trial that in our weakness we know his grace that makes us strong. Then we've come to rely upon the promises of his word as in Isaiah 54, 17. No weapon that is formed against thee shall prosper. And every tongue that shall rise against thee in judgment thou shalt condemn. This is the heritage of the servants of the Lord and their righteousness is of me, saith the Lord. The Christ the Son of God, who died for your sins, who rose from the dead, who ascended to the right hand of the majesty on high with full authority and power over everything, he'll never lose you if you've come to trust him only. Not trusting in your trust. Not trusting in yourself. Not trusting in what you do. Not trusting in anything you do whatsoever. Trusting in the grace and goodness of God. Trusting in the Christ who died and rose again. And believing that he is over everything that concerns you. That's what Paul could say about it in in 2 Timothy 1.12. I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. That mighty apostle wasn't mighty because of himself. He wasn't mighty in faith because of himself. It was because of Christ. It was all Christ with him. For to me, he says, to live is Christ. And to die is gain. It's only the minds of them that believe not that are effectively blinded by the enemy of souls. So in Second Corinthians 4, the Apostle Paul writes, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, in whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not, lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. Those who have the witness in their souls that God is true. That his word is truth. Infallibly so. That Christ is indeed the way, the truth, and the life. They're not going to be subverted by false gospels. Or the false science of evolution. Or the worship of the human mind that denies the full inspiration of God's holy word, scripture. Or the governmental laws that contradict and deny the commands and laws of God. Or any other system of thought that wars against the truth that God has made known. And revealed. So let's consider the truth. The glorious truth that overcomes all error. The truth that's to be firmly implanted in your soul and mine. Big verses in Colossians 2: verses. 8 and 9, or, or rather, verses 9 and 10. For in him, Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And ye are complete in him, which is the head of all principality and power. Why is it that Christ is all you need? Why is it that He is all you need? It's because that in Him, in Christ, in the Lord Jesus, who came from eternity into this world, in Him, who humbled Himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, because in Him... All of God, all of God, the full plenitude of the divine essence and glory eternally dwells in him. So that all of the work of God, of essential deity, is performed by him in all that is done. In all that God does, he does it in Christ. It all comes through him. In him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. There's no little verse. The Greek word for Godhead here is as strong as it gets in declaring the full deity of Christ. Oh, we have it in other places for sure. God was manifest in the flesh. As in 1 Timothy 3.15. The Father says to the Son, Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever, in Hebrews 1.8. We go all over the Scripture declaring the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's no stronger word than that here. All the fullness of the Godhead dwells in Him. Bodily. There's no room for doubt except for those who refuse to believe it. There's another place that this is used, and you can turn there if you want to look into Romans chapter 1. But there is a difference that we will consider. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul, of course, in this chapter is showing where the heathen world turned from the knowledge of God, and Became fools. Fools. Darkened minds. Darkened reasoning, thinking. But in this he shows that the attributes, the power, the glory of God is manifested in creation. And he writes in Romans chapter 1, verses 19 and 20, because... That which may be known of God is manifest in them. There's a knowledge in man. He has to suppress it. For God hath showed it unto them. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen. Being understood by the things that are made. Even his eternal power and Godhead. So that they are without excuse. There's a little difference in the Greek word that's translated Godhead in Romans 1.20 and the Greek word that's translated Godhead in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 9. There is a difference in that. One Greek letter makes the difference, by the way. So that the Greek word for Godhead here in Colossians Chapter 2, verse 9 has a different meaning than its translation with the same English word in Romans one twenty, In Romans, the Apostle Paul is saying that the works of God in creation show forth His divine power, His glory, His majesty, His Godhead in this. That the power of God, His omnipotence, is made known in creation. His wisdom is made is shown in creation. He created a universe. That means unity in diversity that only He could do. All working together according to His infinite mind. His glory, His majesty. That has to be suppressed by man. Not to see it in creation. The psalmist says in Psalm 19, 1 the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament showeth his handiwork. But here in Colossians two nine, it's not simply the qualities or the attributes of God. It's the nature of God. It's the essential deity of God. It's the essence of God. In Christ dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. That's one huge verse. You see, God's power, his glory, is revealed in creation, but not his person. His person is revealed in Jesus of Nazareth, in the virgin-born Son of God who came into this world in poverty. performed his works that showed who he was. No else but he could cry to the raging sea to be still and it lie down like a lamb before him. None other could cry, Lazarus come forth and he who had been dead for four days came forth out of the grave bound with grave with his grave clothes no one else but he could speak the word and heal broken bodies sicknesses no one but he in whom dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily God's power, his glory made known in creation but his person is made known in Christ. Far then from God using secondary means to create the world he did it personally. He did it directly. He did it in our Savior. That's why Paul could write in Romans 1, 16, for by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created by him and for him. He owns them. And far from salvation being Attained by any mystical knowledge of unseen things. It's accomplished by Christ coming into the world by divine actual incarnation, taking flesh and blood. Actual humanity, God becoming man. God, man, in one glorious person. Uniting our humanity with his deity forever. Exactly as was given to John the Apostle to write when he opens his gospel. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. And he writes in verse 14, The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. To look for salvation, to look for help, to look for spiritual perfection, other than in Christ is to look in vain. Because outside of him in whom dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, there is nothing but darkness, death, and eternal woe. But to be in union with Christ, because of God's wondrous sovereign grace by faith, Who took the sins of all who believe and look to him alone. Having paid the full price that was owed to God's divine justice. And then giving his own life to those who truly come to him. It's to have completeness that's impossible any other way. For in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, and ye are complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. It is in union with Him, It is by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, that all of the fruit of the new life and all of the outworking of true holiness and all of the joy and peace that truly lasts forever is to be found nowhere else. We were all born into this world sinners. We didn't come innocent. We didn't come clean. We came unclean. We came because of the fall of sin and the sin that was imputed to us and the sin we inherited all the way back to Adam. That sin left us in a position of incompleteness. We were incomplete because of sin. That's why man's in misery. He'll never find true peace. He'll think he will, and the next day it eludes him. He's up and down. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. There's no true life. He's in a living death because of sin. Misery, tossed to and fro, seeking his joys from this world and the things of it. That will eventually leave him in nothing but utter bitterness. We were all in an con- incomplete condition because of sin. And the only remedy is found in Christ. Nowhere else. We only regain completeness in union with Him. Christ, the never-failing fountain, as has been said, in Christ we have reached the source whence flows the stream of blessings that supplies whatever you need for this life and for the next. And so I want to borrow at length something I read from one who did an incisive work on this epistle to the Colossians. His name was Herbert Carson. Unregenerate men... Or unregenerate man. Is spiritually incomplete. For he is out of touch with God. He is morally incomplete. For he lacks both the final standard of conduct. Which is the will of God. And the dynamic. Which is the indwelling of God's spirit. He is mentally incomplete. Incomplete. For sin has vitiated even his reasoning power. And he cannot understand spiritual truth. Hence, it is only through the miracle of regeneration, that's the new birth, that's new life, that spiritual life given from God. It is only through the miracle of regeneration in which, through union with Christ, he partakes of the life of God that he reaches his completeness, partaking of the life of God. What a mouthful. It is only then that his human nature is filled out with meaning. He is spiritually complete, for he is now reconciled to God and in fellowship with his Creator. That reconciliation comes through the blood of Christ, as we've learned last Lord's Day reconciliation doesn't have to do with what takes place in us it's that which takes place with our relationship with God and it comes only through Jesus Christ crucified and his finished work of redemption he is morally complete not in the sense of being perfect but in that he now recognizes the final authority of the will of God and already experiences the energizing of God's Spirit, which is a foretaste of the perfection which will accompany his glorification. He is mentally complete, not in the sense of having all knowledge, but inasmuch as his mind is now enlightened by the Spirit of God to discern spiritual truth to which he was formerly blind. We have an unction, John writes, from the Holy One. That's Christ. That's the Spirit of God in us. And we know all things. That doesn't mean we're omniscient. That means we have the capacity to know what is right, what is wrong, what is true, what is false. Spiritual truth when God lives in us. In Him, in Christ, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily And you're complete in Him, which is the head of all principality and power. I listened to some simple things one time from a a preacher, and I'm a simple preacher. (laughs) I'm just a simple preacher. I just have one gospel, none other. It was simply stated but how impact an impression it made one who has not Christ has nothing one who has not Christ has nothing no matter what else he or she may have no matter what they may attain in this world if they have not Christ, it will end in losing everything forever. He who has not Christ has nothing. If you have Christ, no matter what condition you may be in in this world, low or high, rich or poor, educated uneducated, in health or in sickness, black, white, Male, female. If you have Christ, you have everything. You're the richest person there is. You have all you need for time and for eternity in Him. In Him. That the Scripture speaks of as our all and all. You're complete if you have Him and lack nothing that really means anything. Learn of Him. Learn of Him. Grow in Him. Walk with Him. Seek His face. Fellowship with Him. Go nowhere. You cannot take Him with you. Engage in no activity with which you cannot invite Him to join you. And you'll find a peace that passes understanding. May God bless the ministry of His Holy Word. We want to pray for Jill, of course, and her family. And uh, her dad, who had a solid testimony, faith in Christ. And she has that comfort, and we're so thankful. But it's hard to say bye to one. You've loved for so long, and a dad she confessed was a very good dad. And she's going to miss him but she's got a comfort that can only come when one has that hope and that realization that they've left this world to be with the Lord. So pray with her, pray for her. You want to bring your phone up? Uh, Mike, you, you mentioned your father. Is He's still kind of not wanting to have any surgery or take care of the blood clot he's got. Has changed. He, you know, dementia, he's just, he a lot. It's hard. It's hard. So we're gonna we're gonna pray that the Lord would grant mercy that he could maybe uh, agree to get help because blood clots are helpable. I know I just had one myself a few months ago so pray for Mike's dad. We're glad you're here, Mike, tonight. Bob and Carol, of course, have a a praise item because uh, the grandson was in what was apparently a great deal of danger. Uh, Bob was concerned even to his, his life being taken from him, but that has been now remedied and God has answered prayer. And so pray for him, pray for his salvation. Bob always wants us to pray for his children, his grandchildren, their salvation, and uh, pray uh, that God would have mercy upon them. And, of course, Bob fights constantly with pain. Uh, We got a note from Mary Matthews. I'm going to read it from Carolyn's phone. You all remember little Sebastian who had heart surgery while still uh, under one year old plus several other surgeries later and will still need more. His father had deserted them. Sebastian's mother developed the COVID virus last week and it just breaks my heart to say she has passed away today. I pray she's with the Lord. Please pray for the family. They are broken, especially the parents. Sebastian is with them now, grandparents. Sad, but God is in control. Other special prayer requests. You have to briefly state them so I can restate them so those that are praying with us at home can get these requests as well. Mm -hmm. Pray for Linda's granddaughter, Jennifer. She has infection with the new liver. Kidney, I'm sorry. So I'm going to have a brief word of prayer, and then we'll let them in here pray, and uh, then conclude our service with a hymn. But at the end of my prayer, this will conclude uh, our our live stream. Our Father we thank thee that salvation is in thy sovereign hands not in ours and so we rejoice when we read in thy word that we're kept by thee and how blessed our savior when we when we read and we realize that thou art our intercessor and that great that great prayer of thine in John 17 And now, O Father, I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to Thee. Holy Father, keep through Thine own name those whom Thou hast given me. We, Lord, ask Thee to enable us by the work of Thy Spirit not to trust in ourselves, not to depend upon our ability even to believe, but to trust only in Thee and to realize that only Thou canst grant us grace to be established, strengthened to know and walk with Thee. And we're assured in Thy word that this shall grant us the grace to overcome the errors of the adversary who subverts the minds of men. Be glorified our God and we'll thank Thee in the blessed name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. (laughs) <laughs> did you stop I was